Welcome to Girl, Water Your Grass. We talk about all the things to better yourself, your family, your career, your dreams, your goals, and your life, and how God's dreams over us are so much bigger than our own. We are just two girlfriends who grew up in the bluegrass state of Kentucky with five brothers each and have reunited to take our dreams to the next level. Now we're inviting you to get out of your own way, girlfriend, and come on this ride because on this journey of a lifetime, we never arrive. Welcome back to Girl Water Your Grass. We are super excited to have a very special guest with us here today. He is a husband, a father, a son, of the king a navy seal all things so welcome to the podcast mr sam blair awesome welcome welcome sam we're so excited so you guys sam and his wife lauren are dear 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 long time long time <laughs> friends of mine and um we've been wanting to have him on for a while now because he you know he's a former navy seal cornell mba and businessman started several companies and um one of them that we're excited to kind of dive into because it ties a lot in with leadership, with which is a hugely important topic. And you know that it's one that we are pretty big fans of here at Girl Water Your Grass. So let's just dive into this. Sam, tell us a little bit about who is Sam Blair. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me here. It's so such a pleasure. Um, Catherine, Rick, just an honor. And um, all listeners, thank you for, for tuning in. Um, I guess on a macro level, I think the summary that you shared, you know, husband, father kind of wraps it up on a macro level. But as far as just details, grew up in a military family, uh, wonderful parents. I'm the oldest of four. Um, had a great uh, childhood growing up in Southern California, spent a lot of time in and around the Pacific Ocean. Uh, San Diego is a military town, so was drawn to that from a young age. My, my grandfather was a, a naval officer. My, my dad went to the Naval Academy green pilot so there's something and I, I would love to to do this um and then you know the navy seals obviously trained in san diego so uh as a kid i was like that's that's what i want to do i was a swimmer in high school played water polo um and then i went to the small college in ohio francisco university of steubenville i was like well maybe i should look at you know maybe being a catholic priest so i, I was looking at that for a hot minute maybe two years seriously and then my wife transferred from Auburn University to <laughs> Francisco University my senior year and it was game over for me. I was like, I <laughs> am going to marry that girl. So I did a 180. Uh, we started dating my senior year and then I had lined up some stuff for that summer, which took me uh, actually to Africa and, and Alaska, came back. I, I had a game plan. I was like, hey, you know, I told my wife's name is Lawrence babe, we're going to do this, this, and this, and then we're going to get married here. And I finished this long, you know, diatribe. She's like, hey, quick uh, update. I should probably should have led with this, but I want to break up. I was like, what? Um, so that actually freed me up um, to pursue the SEALs. I was like, well, check. I'm going to go do this childhood dream. Um, five years later, 
uh, after completing the teams, uh, the training, I was stationed uh, at SEAL Team 8 out in Virginia, and my wife Lauren was working up in D.C. We reconnected, and um, now we're happily married. We have three children, and I'm out of the military, um, running business, and uh, we are living in Covington, Louisiana, and loving it. So, little... I love that story, Sam, because I think it gives, I love your story. I think it gives so much hope and like, you know, just surrendering that to, to whatever it is, because sometimes it's about timing, right? It's not that it's not the right person. And I think we look internal and say, what's wrong with me? This is the woman I was going to marry. Like, and right. we start ourselves up, but it's just a really cool story that five years later, you know, you had to let it be. And we're really big on self-discovery on like, you can't, you can't tell people things. They have to figure it out for themselves and like whatever she needed to figure out and come back around and be like, no, he's amazing. It's just, it's all God's timing. And, and I'm sure you both were pruned through the process, you know? So I love that. I love hearing about that. Um, <laughs> tell us about, you know, one of like, not necessarily the biggest, but just like a time that you feel like what's a difficult time or a failure in your life and how you actually took that and grew from it and found the gold in it. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as failures go, I mean, I, I'll be the first to admit, like I have, I've got a slew of them, you know, um, as far as like a big major one, I'm sure I could, uh, I could think through a couple there, but I, I, I think it's the, the, the small ones, you know, the daily ones were just basically your habits over, you know, I'm in my late thirties and I'm, you know, I've, I've developed habits and whether that's selfishness or pride, whatever ego, and just realizing, especially married life will bring that out of you and your kids, the little fault finders are like, that's unfair. You're not, you're not holding the standard dad. You're like, Nope, you're right. Um, and then be able to like reset, apologize and just let it go and just keep moving forward. We're like, yep, I have to reset. I'm not perfect, but I am striving. And that old adage, you know, what's the difference between us and a saint is the saint continues to get up. And so I think um, staying close, you know, to the sacraments and continuing to get up regardless of our faults has been hugely impactful in my life. Um, just that ability to keep going. And what would you say, Sam, you know, because that obviously takes a, a certain kind of mindset to get back up, you know, because I think so many times it, it's easy to get in this perfectionistic place where it's like, gosh, if we don't get it right, forget the whole thing, you know, or we beat ourselves up so much. And so obviously to, to recognize those little failures and, and, or big failures and to keep going, what is it that kind of keeps repelling you for? What are the thoughts you're thinking you know, what are the decisions you're making? What are the actions you're taking to keep going? You asked some great questions, ladies. Um, I think with, with that one, and that's such a great question. It's like, what is, why, why keep going? You know, like I already messed up. I'm not perfect. Why, why go down this narrow road and keep trying? Um, I think one, because it's real, you know, and two, um, Christ calls us to that. And then three, realizing like, I, I'm not perfect. No one here is perfect, but God is calling us to perfection. And he's part of that process. Like, I think I rest easy knowing that holiness is God's work. It's not mine. Like I'll cooperate with grace, but he's doing the work and he's just asking me to get up, like keep moving forward. I, and, um, and I think also there are moments in my life where I will look back. Um, I'm like, wow, Lord, you are wonderful. Like you are, look at, 
look at what you've done. You know, like this is not me. Like, look at what you've done. And I think that's important. And I also, I think the trust that the Lord really does have our like plans for our welfare, not for our woe, and that he really has what's best for us and the ability just to keep moving forward. And when you trust that, when you know that to be truth and objectively true, um, I, yeah, you have to get, I mean, you, you have to. Um, so I think for me, it, it, it's, um, yeah, I, I think the growth for me is realizing um, now when, when there's like a, a shortfall or you, you fail, it's like, okay, do I owe someone an apology? Yes or no? Okay, if it's yes, apologize. If it's, you know, looking at myself, am I beating myself up too much? The answer is yes. Like, okay, why? And I'm like, all right, this sin or this action is subject now to the feet of the cross. Like, I'm going to, it's it's the Lord's, I'm going to keep moving. Now. You know, and I think that, that really has been helpful. Just like, all right, that's done. I'm not going to let that bother me. And I'm just moving forward. Oh, I love how you said that. And I love how you just explained that it's God's work, not ours. It's so freeing, right? We put, so, we have so much ungodly self-reliance in our life and, you know, we're, we're really big about freedom and God, he gave us, he gave us free will. It's our greatest gift. You know, one of the greatest gifts, life and yeah. all things, but we think like real love can only exist where freedom exists. And, you know, that freedom and love go hand in hand and just not, not knowing that it's not up to us. We just have to show up and do our part. It's just such a, such a place of freedom. So I love that so much. Um, let's get into your, your company that you co-founded. Uh, I have heard about it previously. So, you know, it's, it must be on the radar somewhere, but it's called the Versati company. Tell us a little bit about that. What went into it? What was the dream? How did it come to fruition? Just lay it out for us. Tell us all about it. Yeah, sure. So, um, the Frasati comes as a shout out to Blessed Pierre Georgia Frasati, who's one of my favorite saints. Um, little quick bio on him. He actually grew up in an atheistic home in the turn of the century. Uh, his, his dad was actually a very wealthy man who owned uh, a newspaper company called The Stampa, which actually is still in business today. His dad was also an ambassador, I think, from, from Italy to Germany. Um, and so Pierre grew up in a very affluent household. He had you know, everything at his disposal, but it was his grandmother who instilled faith in him. And from a young age, just clicked with me. He's like, wow, this is real. I need, I need to respond to this love that Christ is offering to me. And, and he did, I mean, he, he um, leveraged that to the fullest, even at a young age, he was um, seeking out the poor. He was giving money. Like he, he ended up selling a car that his dad gave him and he would bike to school, take that money and the proceeds to, pay for medicine for the, in the slums of Turin, Italy, where he lived. Um, he was on trips with his dad in Germany. He, you know, he'd leave these embassy parties early, you know, take his fur coat, give it to the people in Berlin that were freezing in the winter. He's like, yeah, here you go. Um, he was just a robust character. At the same time, he, uh, you know, a true man in terms of standing up for, for truth, what he believed in, he really pushed back against the fascist regime, uh, in Italy taking root at that time. Um, he actually got into like fist fights, which I love about like, we have a Catholic saint that actually got into fist fights. Um, and then he would also just, you know, spend uh, lots of time in adoration in the early hours in the morning. He, he led a very hidden, hidden life in terms of his spiritual um, interior life. It was very hidden from the rest of the world. 
which I think is special. It was, it was all action. And he, he conducted, uh, or uh, I think he came up down with tuberculosis in his 20s and ended up dying age 24, if I have that right. And this is what I think was so powerful was at his funeral, there's thousands of people showing up of all walks of life, wealthy, middle class, poor, and his parents are just absolutely full. Like, who are these people? How do they know my son? And I love that because his leadership, his um, just the interior life and, and, uh, and the fire in his belly, I, I think just united a whole town, like within his sphere of influence, just one individual. And you look at that and it's just, it's true Christ-centered leadership lived out well. And he, he set his world on fire, you know, like in his sector of the world, his corner, he fought it well. And um, I, I think if we're all doing that, and if we all understand what true leadership is, um, if we're living from a place of strength and prayer, we, we literally can change the world. Um, and, I, and so anyways, I love that, Sam. To, I don't want to interrupt, interrupt you. But what about yeah. I love that. One of my favorite quotes is St. Catherine of Siena. If you are who you're meant to be, you will set the world on fire. And that is really what he embodies so much. Yeah. So, yeah. Not to interrupt you. Tell no, no, no. Body company. I, I want to hear it. I'm like. Yeah, he's, he was the man. Um, and so uh, the Frasati company was an offshoot of my, my last tour in the, Na- in the Navy. I was teaching leadership and ethics at the Naval Academy. And um, I got a coaching certificate uh, from Georgetown just because I had a lot of these midshipmen coming and knocking on my door, like, excuse me, sir, um, I'm thinking about going to the submarine community or maybe being a pilot. What do you think I should do? And I just remember being like, dude, I'm busy. Do whatever you want to do. Like, why are you asking me? I don't care. I'm a Navy SEAL. I'm not a pilot or a submariner. Like, figure it out, kid. Um, and I realized like probably not the right answer, probably should listen, probably should help them work through this. And, and, and what I really did want them to thrive. Um, but I wanted the, the tools to kind of help. Them. So got that certificate. And then I realized I was surrounded by a bunch of pipe hitters at the Naval Academy. Uh, a lot of solid men and women that were well-formed in leadership, in ethics, and that were either retiring or getting out. I was like, let's go start something big here. Um, so we've rolled out the Fursati company um, in the fall of 2020. And um, we, we help small businesses to startups, mid, you know, mid-level market, com- mid-level uh, companies, all the way up to Fortune 500 companies and um, individuals, teams, et cetera. And it's been a blast. So, mm. Sam, okay. So in the context of leadership, because that's, that's a conversation topic, I think for a lot of people, and there's a lot of different ideas about that. What would you say are maybe the top three things that you learned about leadership through being in the military and then how you are practically applying that now with your companies, with people, you know, what would you say are kind of the three main things for really just solid leadership? Yeah, that's such a, such a powerful question because Right now in 2022 is leadership is so squishy, you know, like what is leadership? And uh, I I think it's really important to have some clarity around the term leadership. And I remember when I was uh, a new officer in the teams, we had this uh, professional education course on leadership. I was like so excited. I was like, what is leadership? And I got my notebook out and uh, individual leading the course is like it's vision, uh, inspiration and direction. 
I was like, okay. So I wrote that down. Well, then fast forward like two years, I was in another course and like, what is leadership? And I was like, vision, direction, inspiration. They're like, no. It's like, oh, okay. So I, I, I don't know. And the individual's like, it's influence. I was like, actually, you're right. So if that foundation, like influence, like a leader is someone who has influence is accurate, then you have another decision point because we could, we could defer from that definition of leadership that Hitler, Stalin were good leaders because they had influence, they leveraged it well, um, although for nefarious activities. So that, that didn't sit well with me. I was like, that's not, that's not leadership in my book, or my definition. And um, I think from there, the Frasati company is really big on Christ-centered leadership because you can have influence, but I think it's really important to distinguish, are you using that, that influence, your gifts and your talents in your position of authority, which is, again, the lowest form of leadership, are you using that to direct people towards virtue and a life where they're going to thrive or are you using that for your own gain, you know, and for nefarious activities? Um, so that's really important. And so for us, we kind of embrace this Christ-centered leadership at the Fursati company uh, and the way we educate, consult, and do one-on-one coaching. Uh, that's at the forefront of which I think is, is uh, sets us apart from our, our you know, competitors in that's in the space. I love that so much. And it really, that does kind of parallel to the personal development world. And, you know, a lot of, of what we do is you cannot do personal development without Christ because it becomes about you and it's not sustainable. It won't last and it's not actually centered properly. And so everything we do in our life has to point to him. Um, and I think, you know, there's so much out there in the, in the world, like you said, about leadership, about personal development. And it's all like, you do you girl, you do you, man. Mm-hmm. And that is not the way that we should. I mean, what, we don't have to figure it out. He already showed us how to live. It's not up for discussion. Like he gave us the plan. He gave us the roadmap, just execute it. And if you can stay close to that roadmap, you know, I always tell my kids, if you minimize the mistakes you make between the time you're like right now, teenagers to 25, you'll maximize your happiness forever. And like, here's the roadmap, here's the rules and rules are made for freedom, not for restriction and to stick to that. And that really sounds like a lot of what you all are doing in proper leadership, right? So you can be in leadership and be a bad leader, i.e. Hitler and Stalin, but leadership and, and having that influence towards the good, towards the true and towards the beautiful, because we know truth has to exist within that and God is truth and love. So I just love how you explain that and just really, you know, focusing on being a, a good leader and, and a great leader, because you can be a leader and there are plenty, have plenty of leaders in the world that are bad. Take a look oh, at yeah. one look, you know? Right, right. I mean, you can judge a nation so, too based on um, its leaders. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. That was well said, MP. Yeah, I love that. Um, you can minimize, yeah, minimize your mistakes at that age too. I think what a what a thing to say, you know, to teenagers. You know, oh, the they can out. recite yeah. it, man. Today, today, morning <laughs> on a run. You know, they're struggling and wanting to lick the ground, and I'm like, listen. Quitters never win, and winners never quit. I'm like, mom's got all these quotes she's whipping out, you know. Like, so that's awesome. If you minimize the mistakes you make between those formidable years when you don't have wisdom, and you think you have wisdom is the problem, you will maximize your happiness forever. And you know, I think the older I get, the more I realize I know nothing, <laughs> and it's just 
Yes. You, you just, you just realize that you have to learn and you have to grow. And people will ask me, what do you think about this? And you, you actually are starting to gain wisdom in your older years, but you realize that it's all him and you really don't know anything. And the answer for everyone is different. So I don't know. It's just something you, you're just constant. There's no handbook for parenting. There's no handbook for life, but there is a roadmap and, and it's, it pretty much tells you everything, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. stay close to that roadmap is, is something you think. So, you know, something I feel like with leadership, there's, there's tools you have to have, just like practically speaking, like tools, like decision-making skills and, you know, just boundaries and time management. And what do you think is like the most important tool to actually dive into and be a good leader? Because if you're doing all the things, you can't do the one thing, right? Yeah, no, that's 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 a great question too. Um, there's an author, uh, his name's Alex Havard. He's a he's a Frenchman, and I love what he puts out on leadership. But he was asked this question uh, on leadership uh, recently, and they're like, "Hey, if I'm," he, he's big on leadership has to be tied in with virtues. He's like, "If I'm living, you know, my leadership out well." Um, does this, does this mean I'm going to be a millionaire or this and that? It's like, no, man. He's like, you could also end up in a gulag if you're living out leadership well and living a virtuous life, which I love because leadership isn't about when it's popular. It's also when it's not popular. Are you leading well? Do you have the courage to say what's hard? Do you have the courage to step in there and lead, not follow? Um, and that's, that's the difference between because so many of us, whether parents, friends, Whatever your role is, whether it's a team, company, we're all called to be leaders within our sphere of influence. And do we have the courage to, to move out and actually lead in those situations, in those friendships, in the company, in the nonprofit space, whatever it might be? And to sum that up, Harvard, when, when he was asked this question, like, what's most important about leadership? Um, what do you need? He's like, honestly, it's two things. He's like, you need humility and you need magnanimity. I was like, mm. wow. And he unpacked that. He's, he said, humility for a Christian leader. Realize, you realize, like you were saying, if you're like, we know nothing, you know, like, and everything comes from God. Like all our gifts, all our talents, those come from God. He said, magnanimity is the realization that with those gifts and talents, we're supposed to use them for the kingdom and the glory of God. Um, he said, but well, one without the other is off-putting because if you have humility, which a lot of Christian leaders have in spades, but they don't have magnanimity, you're never going to have a Christian leader in the city square because they're like, well, I'm not, I, that's not for me, or they shy away from being uh, vocal about their, their faith, about their values, about virtue. About or even right using wrong. the gifts, right? Using the uh, gifts. Using gifts, yeah. And they shy away from it. Whereas right. magnanimity without humility, you become an arrogant prick. You know, it's like, well, these are all my gifts. These are all my, And mm -hmm. so you need both. To lead well, mm -hmm. and let's so talk about I, I love me. you know. Let's talk yeah. about it. I think I might have said this on a podcast last week, but this has been a big conversation around us. I was sitting at the, my parents have a pool, and we sit out there and chat. And my dad's like, "Man, this is the culture of me, myself, and I. Let's talk about me. Let's talk about me." You know, so he sings that. There's a song about that. You know, he's right. like, "I'll say, how's it going?" He'll ask me, "How's it going?" And I'll like answer, and he's like, "All right, enough about you. Let's talk about me." Totally cheesy, you know. But right, it, right, is, right. it is the world we live in. You know, we have the iPhone, the iPad. That mm -hmm. this is not names, just coincidentally, people. This right. is all designed to be about us, so that 
we don't, we don't focus on God and on other. And we know that true happiness actually comes from giving and focusing on, on others. And Sam, this is really powerful that you said humility, because I think this is the golden ticket that most leaders are missing in the the secular world, right? Because the humility and something who talks, a guy in the secular world who who is a Christian, who talks a lot about this is Ed Milet. Marie and I are big fans of Ed. And he, I feel like he is so humble. I'm, you know, he, he really does embody humility to me. There is something about humility that is like magnetic. Like you just want to be around those people. And I think it is that they actually do give God the credit and know that it is not ungodly self-reliance and everyone wants to be around people that point them closer to God, whether they know it or not. Mm -hmm. I think it's also, there's, you know, there's such a realness to humility. It's because it, one of the things I think I've seen in those leaders who, you know, you, you do admire is, is, is that that humility aspect is just a realness about, you know, Hey, like the struggles of it and the falls of it, but they do keep going. They keep standing up there and, um, and it's powerful, you know, when you see someone who they, you know, you can tell they're going to the top, but at the same time, they, they, there's almost like an openness. I think that those with humility possess, you know, and, and it's different from, and it's something that we've talked quite a bit about, um, with, with our company West, West of Perfection, we've talked about this. And then also in Girl Wild Your Grass is about also false humility, how that shows up. We've seen that, um, come up in different ways. And, I would love to know what, what have, what are some of your thoughts on false humility? Cause I'm sure again, being in the all kinds. <laughs> that you have, you've, you've seen this play out you've seen this. What, what, what has been your experience with that? Yeah. I, I love all those points that both of you ladies just made. And, and I think to just kind of piggyback real quick on the topic of humility is it's, it lends itself to authenticity. And if you were to pull a hundred workers or employees they're like, hey, do you want to work with the smartest individual in the room? Like, this is the leader, the smartest person in the room. Or do you want to work with the most authentic individual who's also, you know, emotionally intelligent? 100% would be like, oh, yeah, I want to work with an emotionally intelligent, authentic leader. You can't be authentic without humility because humility is like, yeah, I don't have all the answers, but that's why we have a team. That's why we're working together. And it leverages the whole team, their talents, their strengths. And that team is unstoppable. Mm. Whereas if you just have this resident genius and Western culture kind of sets us up where you can't be humble. You can't admit mistakes, man, that's uh, you're going to fall on your face. And, and kind of on that topic, this false humility, I would almost set the stage for false humility with integrity. Um, and if you were to unpack the definition of integrity, a fully integrated person is going to be the same at home on the sports field, you know, in social media, at church, like the whole thing is going to be fully integrated. So when you're disintegrated, you don't have that integrity. Um, you're, you're, you're false. Like you're, you're a phony, you know? So yeah. this, now you're just you're like, Oh, well, that's false humility. So when someone, so I think those two are totally connected, you know, integrity and false humility. 
I love, I love what you said there, even with that integrity piece, because we, we know we've done a lot of studying on this when it comes to even like identity and self-worth is that when you are out of integrity with yourself, right. That it actually also really lowers your, lowers your sense of self-worth because you know, you're acting this way or saying this, but then on the other side, you're actually doing something completely false. You're, you know, you're saying, okay, I'm, I'm even like keeping promises to yourself. I'm going to get up at this time. And, and then I don't get up at that time or you're, you know, mm-hmm. and so that integrity piece of, yes, I am who I say I am, whether I'm over here at home or whether I am at a convention, I'm over, you know, that I am who I am. And that integrity piece, I think is so huge because the integrity does tie in with humility because those it's like those, you can't separate those. All virtue goes together. You know, we were just having this, this life lesson oh. with, with my children this past weekend of the, you know, something I try to teach them is that your, your real values and your real morals are your lowest values. Mm-hmm. What we'll do when no one's watching, when you won't get caught or likely won't get caught, you know, God's always watching, but just in the tangible sense of your real values and, you know, all your kids are going to lie and cheat and steal at some point, just go ahead and just know it. And so when they do get caught, it's, a, it's that opportunity to have that talk about building integrity of like, yeah, you have to choose. Do you want to be this kind of person? Because you have free will and you can get away with things, but your real values, do you want to be the, the person who your real values are, are, you know, are low. And right. something I think about with false humility a lot that, that my husband and I've talked about is with, with parenting. You know, when people will say to us of like, oh, you have great kids. We're like, oh no, you know, blah, blah, blah. But like, that's actually false humility and just saying, thank you. Thank you. You know? And so sometimes I think it's like even not intentional, but when you get a compliment that is true, um, just saying thank you, instead of feeling like you have to abdicate it or, you know, so there's all all kinds of ways or like false pride, Right. And so it all of, of like, you actually did do a good job. You are doing good things. So, you know, you, you, great run today or whatever. So yeah. it's a balance, but asking yourself that question, if you could be wrong about something, I think is, it's just something everyone should live their life by. And this is why I've had a big problem finding um, a physician that I really respect. And I might ruffle some feathers here, but I think that doctors are told their entire lives that they're the best and they're the smartest and they're you know, you're the best and the brightest and the smartest. And, and I went to this thing in high school, it's called governor scholars in Kentucky and they breathe down our throats. It's like only two people per high school got to go. You had to be like leader, you know, president of the class, straight A's and all those things. And they breathe down our throat the whole summer that we were the best and the brightest in Kentucky, which is not good for us. It is not good for people to be, you know, treated like that because it's, it's all gifts, like you said, but in, in that community of finding a physician who thinks that they could be wrong, because that's a dangerous place when you think that you're right about everything. Um, and I don't blame them. It's the culture. We, we kind of worship that doctor degree, that MD, like, oh, I'm a doctor. It's like this status symbol. Um, and just encouraging all of us that we can all be wrong about something all the time. Yeah. I'll get off my soapbox, Maria. <laughs> I love it. You saw it, Sam. Lots of time to think about life, almost miles running. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Sam, what would you say, you know, if you were going to talk to yourself 10 years ago and give yourself just a piece of of life advice, what would you say? What would you tell yourself? You know what? I I love sharing this. This is kind of a reflection for me of like time, you know, running or the gym just or shower time I, I get a lot of great thoughts in the shower is just the long you know I think so many of us especially now are just focused on the next tweet or the next 
you know, hash, whatever. And we get so we're drowning in the now and we don't have a perspective on the long view. And what I mean by the long view is if I was to pull, you know, again, hundred people like, Hey, tell me your four great grandfathers, like by name, most people would just stare at me like, I have no idea. And that floors me only because that's three generations and, and it's family and no one remembers. And they're like, okay, no, I'll like, Hey, no worries. How about name the president of the United States in 1857 without Googling it? They're like, got nothing. Like, okay. So that was the president of the United States and you don't know. So the most powerful or one of the most powerful men in the world in 1857, you don't know who that is. And I guess what I'm trying to say related to that question is realizing that we're not going to be remembered. And so there's a, there's an element of humility to that like, mm. I'm not going to be remembered three generations from now. Kind of sad. Maybe that's morbid. I don't know. But for me, it's consolation realizing like, okay, then what am I living for? Mm. And I think part of that going hand in hand, you have to realize that God, the father sees God, the father knows. And so if that's the case, and we do believe that heaven is around the corner, I want to, I'm aiming for that. You know, I want to live my life as best I can for the glory of God, because it's not about here and now it's I'm living for eternity. Um, and that's, you know, if you share that in 2022, people are like, what are you talking about? But for me, that's that's a guiding principle in my life um mm. and i would love to have heard that in my 20s just like hey it's not Man, about it takes the pressure off. yeah 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 that is, that is massive wisdom people y'all listen here i'm getting for eternity and we are just a blip on the radar and in, in the bigger scheme of things and gosh the older you get the faster it goes and i've heard that for years but it's true yeah and you know, it's, it's just knowing that this is not the end game, right? I love that. That is such great wisdom. Oh, so, so good. Before we close out, what would you say, you know, we, we talked a little bit about some of the failures, you know, and just learning from those, what would you say has been like a big failure for you? And what was the lesson you learned from that? I know that's a little vulnerable question, but would you say, you know, has been a pretty big failure in your life, but you really learned from that? Yeah. Um, so there was, uh, I, I think for me, um, you know, so, some of the failures have been with, with work. So I remember early on in my profession, um, we were getting ready to, to deploy and, I got pulled off of one mission and sent to another one. And I just remember being so bummed. And then, I, and it was because of a mistake I had made um, in, in training with, um, I was actually in Kentucky. So as we were over, we were, we were doing some training in Kentucky and there's some role Four players. Four Knox, yep. And um, I remember we were on target and my, I had like a reputation of being a bit of a clown, uh, like a joker. Like I was definitely serious about work, but a joker among my, my boys. So we were, we would always cut up a lot of laughs and um, I'm sorry, I'm going to bramble here for a minute to kind of give some context, but we're doing a, a full mission exercise and uh, we're going after notional bad guy stateside before deploying. And we wrap up some, some different people. We're like, Hey, where is X? You know, where's so-and-so and this role player from, you know, some small town in Kentucky is like dressed as a you know, middle Eastern. I was like, I, I don't know. I was like, tell me, or I'm going to kill you, you know? And I'm like 
I hadn't deployed yet, new guy in the teams. My buddies are laughing. I'm kind of laughing because I'm not connected with that. Well, what I didn't know was the Commodore of all four SEAL teams on the East Coast was watching this exercise. And he was literally right behind me. I had no idea. So later we debrief and like that mission profile was awesome. You guys crushed it. Um, it great. And they passed the mic to the Commodore. Like, hey, any comments you want to make cover? He's like, yeah, who was that guy that said, you know, if you couldn't find someone, you're going to kill him? I was like, oh, yeah, that was me. And uh, my CEO, my community officer was there. And my, all, like all the leaders, they're like, whoa, Blair, what did you say? I was like, oh, gosh. And all my buddies were laughing because, you know, they were like, we were cracking up at the moment. We didn't think we were going to um, So I got pulled off of uh, this, like, special opportunity in Afghanistan. I got sent to Iraq. They're like, yeah, Sam, you, um, we just don't think you can, uh, we're, we're concerned about you running this small mission set over there. And I was like in charge, like one guy. I was like, okay. So absolutely crushed. I'm like early twenties, oh. just absolutely crushed. Oh. Fast forward. We're getting ready to go. By the way, to, we love the funny guy. <laughs> yeah. I, so fast forward, we're going to uh, East Africa and my, platoon commander who's in charge of the whole platoon he gets sent to an embassy and then my chief gets sent to an embassy and long behold going from which charge of one person they're like yes sam you're gonna have a whole platoon so it was it was just interesting like the, i feel like in my and that's like one of several examples where the lord just like there's a lot of humility just like oh my gosh how can i make that mistake and you like beat yourself up and then the lord's like and i'm gonna give you more responsibility mm. and um that was that pattern and i won't get into details but there's like a lot of patterns of those where the lord just like and i'm gonna you're gonna learn this lesson again like there's a time and a place to joke there's a time and a place like all those things based on how i move through the world the lord he'll definitely give me like some you know little <laughs> slaps like hey man focus hey and at the same time he like i just know i just feel like he just loves me so well it's like and i'm gonna just I always come out of these situations smelling like roses. I don't know how that works, but um, I think that, it's called faith and a surrender, right? And yeah. that really is the premise of what we do. If God's dreams over us are bigger than our own, right? Yeah. So, man, I screwed it up, and it's such a beautiful example to all of our listeners of you don't have to figure it out. That's not that's actually a beautiful witness of not having ungodly self reliance. But man, I screwed it up. God, I need your help here, Daddy, and let yeah. him take over. I love, yeah. I love it. It's amazing. Um, yeah. That's a great example. Thank you for sharing. And I wanted to ask you something Marie and I have been talking about a lot on the podcast just over the past several months as we've gotten into studying is really just, um, you know, you are a man and being a man in today's world and the challenges that men face. You know, we've talked a lot about um, emasculation and how we did a, a course about a month ago for women on how we're ruining the men in our lives and we don't even know it on just trying to help each other be better. And one of the, the mottos we really live by is that a hot tub raises all ships in order for a woman to get up. She doesn't need to beat a man down and vice versa. But, you know, just can you talk to us a little bit about the challenges that men face and the ways that you believe men need to grow um, just in the culture today? That's such uh, a relevant topic, you know, and I mean, and it's, it's these small things. Like I, I was talking to a buddy the other day who was just sharing like, Hey, uh, at dinner, he shared with his wife that he wants to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And her response was like, yeah, you should definitely do that. That'd be awesome. And he, he was just sharing. He's like, I felt so motivated because she could have in turn just feel like, oh, what passive mashed potatoes? Like, what are you, like your crazy dreams? And that would have just 
crushed him. That small comment, he probably would have been stoic about it. Like, oh yeah, here's some mashed potatoes. Sorry, I made that comment. But he was like, yeah, we go okay, sign so, up for so as, you're, as you're answering this, Sam, tell us how we as women can help you men yes. in the ways you believe we need to grow. So if you can bring yes. that together for us and our listeners, that would be hugely impactful. What yeah. men need to do and how we as women can help you. Yeah. So I'm I'm at a disadvantage to this question because my wife is solid. I feel like she's just like a freaking champion. Um, that said, well, tell us do you what think, she does. What's, what's that? What she does to help you. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is just getting on the same page with schedules because that's a big point of conflict for us is like, like where are you? Where are we going to be? So just getting in front of that, whether in the evenings or when you have like some breathing room as a couple, like, hey, here's my schedule. What's your schedule? How can we support? And I think also for me, and this is where I fall short, and I think I'm not putting this on guys in general, but for, for me, and if it's helpful, great, is going into – a situation, 100%, 100%. It's not like, hey, you do 50%, I do 50%, and then together we'll do 100% as a married couple. It's like we both do 100% and we crush. And I think if you're both pulling evenly and you're both pulling hard, you're both pulling strong, and you're not looking for pats on the back, that's huge, but not being afraid to give those consolative like, pats and like, hey, thank you so much for your help. That goes a long way for a guy. Just I don't want to – like you feel phony, like, hey, can you please compliment me? Um, my wife gives you a hard time for that, like, oh, you look for compliment. But when a woman gives that pat on the back, just noticing something, again, maybe this is just me. I, I love that. You know, I'm like, all right, cool. Like, I'm, it's being acknowledged. That's all I'm looking for is like, okay, it's being acknowledged. From um, actually a lot of the studies that we've done um, in learning about some of the differences with men and women, and just the way our, even the way that our brains operate, that is one of the things that has consistently come up in, in learning about that is that for men, women affirming and acknowledging and seeing that it just does, it, it just changes the whole thing. I had a friend of mine and he used to say, he said, you know, I can get totally beat up at my job. I can have like a horrible day at work. He said, if I come home, and my wife is happy to see me. And she gives me one comp compliment, like one acknowledgement of something good. He's like, I don't care. Like my whole day completely just changed. Like all that other stuff didn't matter. What, would you agree? hundred percent. Like, I think one thing as you're sharing that Maria, an image that I just, I think might be helpful to kind of bring this together is a lot of these guys, they're built to be lead sled dogs. Like they're pulling the family, like they're leading, they're serving, they're just running hard and they've got a lot on their plate that they're not going to share about at the table. Like I got this meeting, this meeting went paywire and I got to close with this investment. Like there's a lot going on in a guy's life. And I'm sure there's, I'm not saying there's a ton going on in my wife's life as well. And for a lead sled dog, like all they're looking for at the end of the day is like some water, some food, and maybe a pet on the head. Just like, Hey, good job. Mushing day. Guess what you're doing tomorrow? Running hard, pulling hard. Like, and, and they're all about it. Like, Guys want to run hard, but they're just looking for, mm. yeah, a little consolation in the, the day, like, hey, you did good. All right. And guess what you're doing tomorrow? Same Go thing. Again. Go and get okay. it. Yeah. I love that you said just a little food and water. Yeah. Add on the head. I mean, <laughs> ladies, it doesn't take a whole lot. Yeah. You know, building up instead of um, just rolling in and all the things on the to-do list and, and beating down, we, we just unnaturally, I think women are talkers and sometimes we unload when it's just not necessary. Mm -hmm. and seeing all the things that are wrong rather than seeing what is like the thing that he actually did right and do so well at. Mm -hmm. And I think timing, 
think timing is huge. Like my wife does such a good job. Um, and, and we both had to learn this, but she does such a good job with time. Like she knows me well, like when she has a critique, like I also have like a nightcap, I'm drinking some bourbon, I'm relaxed, kids are in bed. She's like, and I want to bring this up. I'm like, yeah, shoot, what do you got? You know, and I'm like ready to receive versus like coming home from work, like do, 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 rapid fire. I'm like, uh, let me just put my bag down. You know, like, let me get settled. How today? Right, 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 right. So my wife does a really good job with timing. I think that's, mm. yeah. You know, it'd be super fun is to get both of you guys on together talking about this stuff because, you know, these are conversations. Actually, Lauren, she's been such a gift for me in relationship questions and navigating. And she just, your wife does have so much beautiful wisdom. Um, I just, I admire her so, so much. And she's just an amazing, amazing woman. And um, heard all the things. Can't we meet in person soon? So we're connecting all. Maria's connecting all her people. I'm like, cool. good so people good. have so got to meet. All right. So one last question we like to ask. That's right. One last question we like to ask our guests here on Girl Water Your Grass. It's just practically speaking, what is one piece of advice you would give our listeners this week on how to water their grass? Yeah, I would say you know, stay close to to your prayer life. I think that's huge. And then, um, you know, for me, it's you know, stay close to the sacraments. And I think that's, yeah, that's like a foundational thing for me now. I'm really big on that MK. It's just staying close to sacraments is really the, the tie in there to water, like to being fruitful in your, your vocation, in your activities day to day. Like the Lord's really clear, like you can do nothing without, not like a little bit, like you can do nothing without me. So just, just staying tied in with, uh, with the vine, which is Christ is, is so important to me. Uh, so if that's helpful, I'll share that. I love it. I love it. And you know, really the overall theme, I think that Sam really embodied for us today is just a complete surrender and it just takes the pressure off so that, you know, if you, if you are Catholic staying close to the sacraments and if you're not just your prayer life and knowing that it's not, you do not have to fix this. You don't have to be the rescuer, but you just have to surrender to God. And I think that we don't understand the power of prayer because we are people of action and we want to see things. Well, I want to take a cake and I want to bake dinner and I want to watch the, you know, but the power of our, our prayer is far greater than we give it credit for. And so just surrendering to the Lord, just, just one hour father to surrender someone you you're concerned about or whatever that may be is so much more powerful than we give it credit for. So Sam, thank you so much for being here. This has been wonderful. And we just thank you and, and are just so grateful for you. And I can't wait to meet you in person. And for all of our listeners, we'll see you next week on Girl Water Your Grass. Bye.